Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is July 21st, 2014. This is episode 87. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, Jake English. Hi, Scotty. For those that are listening to us, you should be listening to us on birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You should also be following us on the baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You should be also following us on all other third-party applications such as Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and I suppose iTunes is perfectly acceptable as well. You can also be checking us up on uh, social media, including at facebook.com slash bbcast, Google+, YouTube, but most importantly, you should be following us on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. Also on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think we're actually going to be doing something a little different this week. Um, normally we do it 15 minutes after the game, but I don't think anyone wants to step and watch a post game um, after the game at two o'clock. So Jake, what do you think about pregames this week? I like pregaming. I think uh, if you know me, I like the pregame. So I think everyone, we're going to do some pregame channel BSR um, in order to prep. Let's just say there will be drinks aflowing. And with that, Jake, um, why don't we? Um, Go to the drink of the week. All right. My drink of the week this week is a gin and tonic. Uh, heavy on the lime tonight. Heavy on the lime. All right, Jake. I am going to... I'm having actually a Dogfish 90-minute IPA. It's a fantastic beer. That's not the best part of your beer tonight, though. Um, no, I actually have a Maryland Cozy as well, so that's that's not bad. Um, also, just to plug us, you should also be following us on Untapped. We post our what we're drinking periodically. Jake, you can be followed at JakeE4025, and I can be followed at at MAGN8606. So now, both of those uh, published to the Bird's Eye View Twitter. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Now, you need to change something in your Twitter function, but we'll cover that uh, off offline, too. Oh, is, that, is that why I was uh, bragging about my weekday drinking on a weekend? Yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. So we're going to change that for you tonight before you leave tonight. Yeah, I, I can't be held accountable for that. All right. I just drink the beer. Jake, let's go to the medical wing really quickly. Habaldo Jimenez uh, had a bullpen session, and um, he's going to be coming back out for another bullpen session. So I guess he's really hurt. Yeah, it didn't go well. He uh, he was still favoring the ankle, and uh, you know apparently it's a real injury. Whatever the case is, it's not bothering me. Okay, if you say so that he's favoring that ankle, I think the Orioles looked at his mechanics and said, "Nope, still shit. You're you're still in the deal." <laughs> <laughs> That's very possible. Um, you know. Speaking about crappy mechanics, I think it's time to go to this week on the Twitter. All right. Uh, the first thing on the Twitter we had, I'm calling this one, oh, Dirty Jim. This tweet comes to us from Groovatron3000, who tweeted at OBP Apparel and said, I love the Orioles. I ache for Jim Johnson right now, though. I think that's the the perfect uh, tune for, for what's going on here. You feel so bad for Jim Johnson. He was so good for us for for a while. And he was such a big part of that 2012 season. It just sucks to watch him struggle. Speaking about people struggling, Chris Davis has continued to struggle coming out of the All-Star break. Um, an individual named by Dave Cole, you can follow him at, at Dave Cole Photo, posted Chris Davis of the At Orioles and Chris Davis, K-H-R-I-S, Davis of the Brewers, both have 16 home runs and 50 RBIs on the season. Just for you, at Mass and Rock. Wow. Yeah, that, that stings. Yeah. That stings. Also, Chris Davis from Auburn won an SB this week as well. So that's the trifecta of Chris Davis's. That is that is too many Chris Davises. Yes. All right. John Heyman at John Heyman CBS tweeted out, there doesn't appear to be too much yet to O's Burnett talk, nor should they be. And he he uh, linked his, his story on that. Look, I think it's very clear that this talk is coming from the Phillies camp or possibly from Burnett's agent, 
but there's no story here. If Burnett wanted to be in Baltimore, he would have already signed here multiple occasions. If the Orioles wanted to acquire him, they would have gotten him on those occasions. This is smoke and mirrors from the Phillies side of things. Nothing more. Trying to drive up business for the A.J. Burnett market. And yeah, I agree with you. And um, that's not someone that we really should be pursuing. Um, he's got a. We've got a stable full of crappy pictures. Why do we need one more? Well, not to mention, if you look at his walks per nine, um, they are not as bad as the Baltimore Menace, but they're right there in terms of Major League Baseball rankings. So you're absolutely right. We want to stay as far away from uh, Burnett as possible right now, even though he was a very entertaining person um, in this offseason in terms of his ground ball percentage. Um, Jake, um, I need you to count to three, not five, but three, because it's time to talk about the Holy Hand Grenade. Um, Donaldson, um, this is actually from Susie Sluzer, and that's just actually in regards to Sunday's Adam Jones play. It says, Donaldson has confused the number of outs himself. That's a bad feeling for anyone, he said. Adam Jones is a great player. Whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't Josh Donaldson supposed to be a villain in these parts? What is he doing being a decent guy about this? Josh Donaldson, you're on notice. Be a villain so we can root against you. We need the heel. Yes. All right, Scotty, this next one's for you. This is right up your alley. This is your boy. Let's hear it. This is from, um, well, we're going to call this tweet, Things are getting ugly in San Francisco. Wait, I think I see what you did there, yeah. but go ahead. Okay, so Dan Sabrowski posted today, said, big pickup for the Dodgers today. The Giants sign Dan Ugla. Yeah. I'm going with the sarcasm tweet because I think that's what Dan was going for. That's on point. Yeah. I like that. All right, next I want to go to uh, something that Fox Sports MLB uh, tweeted out. That's MLB on Fox and it, it goes as follows. Scott Boris shares his plan for how to avoid another Brady Aiken mess. Ken Rosenthal's column, and then it's linked. Yeah. And let me save you the trouble of reading it, okay? Scotty, here's what Scott Boris wants to do to save baseball from this situation, okay? They want uh, Major League Baseball to go into the vault, all right, the Scrooge McDuck vault, Woo-hoo! gather up all the coins, and then give it all to Scott Boris. Okay. That's exactly what he wants. Basically, it comes down to... If if a player and, and a team can't get a, a contract together, the uh, player should be allowed to become a free agent and sign for the amount of the slot that that player would have been able to sign for and, and sign for anybody. Okay, that sounds almost plausible until you realize that the market would explode with, in that second year, what they would try to pay these cats. Can you imagine a talent like Mike Trout Going and and you know being paid six or seven million dollars for one year and then hitting the open market in his second year and what that would do to the economics of baseball. Yeah, there's definitely something that needs to be looked at in terms of the draft, though. The whole Aiken situation is a complete mess. And though I don't agree with Scott Boris's take, there's no way that this situation should have gone as far as it did with the Astros mishandling it the way well, they did. You don't think that Scott Boris should be able to swim in a pile of money? I hear he does. So. A bigger pile of money. Although, I still come back to the situation of this would be an interesting situation of if a draft pick didn't sign, maybe he goes into a supplemental draft for international draft picks, and maybe the, that's something that would work as well. Or maybe that's what you do with the with the uh, supplemental pick of the uh, the compensatory picks. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, do like a waiver order, basically. Yeah. yeah okay. I, it's not a bad idea. It's yeah. it's not a great idea. This last uh, tweet that we want to we want to review. This uh, came from at baseball underscore ref, which is, of course is baseball reference. And Scott, they are lifting the stain. The tweet reads as follows: Blog colon nineteen oh one to nineteen oh two Orioles removed from Yankees history. And if you click through the link that is is supplied there. It's a it's a brief little uh, couple paragraph blog there on Baseball Reference where they say that Baseball Reference, like the New York Yankees and like several other reputable record keeping organizations, have drawn a division between the 1901 and 1902 Orioles and the New York Highlanders franchise, which then became the Evil Empire, and said that no more shall the two be connected. Apparently, um, the 1902 Orioles. Uh, failed, became ownership of the league, and uh, baseball history now considers it to be more of a a, uh, a, a a new franchise in New York, and that just makes me feel good that the city of Baltimore is now no part of that Yankees nonsense. Oh, okay. It took a hundred years for this to happen. I don't care how long it took. It feels right, Scott. It feels right. Okay, you can try to get that to stand out as much as possible. But I can tell you right now, once the Saints sits. It always is there. Well, listen here. If I'm going to talk nonsense, I think I should be called out on it, but I think it should be as embarrassing as possible. And you know what? 
That's usually your forte, but let's double it up tonight. What do you say we call in a little backup for you? All right, let's get the expert in here and let's make you look stupid. Jake, uh, the 2014 season, again, has been an overachieving one for the Baltimore Orioles in terms of stats, and uh, we've covered this many a times. And um, this past week, there was an article posted on Fangrass, which I would highly recommend it. It was uh, authored by Mike uh, Petrolio, and um, it was called The Orioles Don't Care About Our Expectations, and it perfectly encapsulates the argument that you and I have over the Baltimore Orioles on a week-in and week-out basis. Um, The Orioles are a good team. They're doing things that, you know, stat lovers just shake their head about. And, you know, I, we were so lucky that Mike has been willing to come on and uh, serve as our expert in terms of some stats and basically try to prove you wrong like I try to do every single week. Oh, so you're ganging up on me now to, to tell me that I'm too dumb for baseball? Uh, yes, that is correct. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for, for coming to prove me wrong. We appreciate it. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now Scott said that, that uh, he read the article with interest, and, and even an idiot like me read it and, uh, and connected with it. Uh, we, we really uh, connected to it because, again, it's, it's everything that we try to do on a week-in and week-out basis. L- let me just ask you this. The decline of the AL East has been pretty well documented. Um, why does Fangraphs have them uh, as the odds-end favorites to win the AL East at 44.6? Versus the Jays, who are at about 30, and the Yankees at about 12.1 at this point. Well, I think part of it is that they've they've got what a three game lead in the division. So, I mean, that certainly comes into account because even if every team played exactly the same from here on out, I mean, those those wins are bank. So, uh, that's a huge part of it that other teams would have to catch them, not just match them. But I also think, yeah, you look at the Yankees uh, without Tanaka, without uh, Pineda, and without Nova. I mean, that that starting rotation is just a total disaster zone. Um, and then the Blue Jays, I mean, they you know were playing phenomenally for a couple months, but you know their rotations come back to earth. Uh, they've had some injuries, so I think there is no there's no great team in this division as there was for so many years. It's, a, it's every team has a lot of flaws, and uh, you know, like I think I wrote that maybe the best thing the Orioles have done is is not implode like everybody else has, and uh, you know, so that's why they're in a really good spot right now. Which is very odd for the Orioles not to implode on themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're we're so used to uh, to calling it Orioles magic here in Baltimore. Maybe we've just managed to avoid the Orioles tragic enough to uh, to be the favorites at this point. Well, there's still time. Yeah, that's that's true. There there is still plenty of time. Um, I think we're all very familiar with the 2005 Orioles who started off so strong. And uh, you know, when 2012 hit, we kept on saying to ourselves, "Yeah, this happened in 2005," and then uh, we decided to shoot ourselves in the foot. So it can't last for very long. And Lo and behold, we actually got into a playoff spot there, which was, you know, a miracle based off of the run differential. But, um, you know, the Orioles have been playing pretty decent ball over the past two years, and it looks like they're continuing that trend in 2014. The one really interesting thing that has really gained a lot of controversy, at least on Baltimore message boards and Baltimore blogs, has been the pitching discussion. And, you know, I've talked about this before with Jake about, you know, the Orioles have some of the worst numbers in terms of FIP. XFIP and then even Sierra in terms of their starting rotation. But, you know, ever since 2012, the Orioles have shown the ability to best these numbers in terms of their runs allowed per nine. And fans will be quick to point out that saying, oh, you know, that's because the Orioles have a great defense behind them. But Dave Cameron, managing editor and senior writer at Fangrass, was really quick to point out in the comments section of your article that the Orioles, you know, have done okay in terms of their BIP war, which is bat- balls in play. Um, but really, what was really interesting is their left on base war is the best in baseball. And Dave kind of doesn't attribute that to the defense. He considers it more of a timing of that eventually falling apart and going to the wayside. I just wanted to get your kind of opinion on the matter on that. Yeah, I think part of what he's talking about is sequencing, which is the idea that you know if I throw nine innings and give up four hits and you do exactly the same, you know, maybe that seems like we both had a very good game, but if my four hits came scattered about the whole game and you're the whole game in a row, then you probably gave up a run and you probably lose the game, even though, you know, we gave up the same amount of damage. Uh, and that's that's kind of what I think he's talking about there is this, in terms of left on base. Uh, you know, you come in and you are able to, you know, it, it keep some of the runners from scoring. And I think that's one of the things that's very hard to quantify about that is, 
this thing that uh, Dan Duke has been doing. Where he's, I don't have the number, but he's made probably more roster moves than just about anybody else. I mean, sending down guys, sending Bud Norris down to Double A for like, you know, a start so he can get more relievers on. And I think what that ends up doing is that Buck Showalter's got more fresh relievers than maybe anybody else in baseball, and that probably allows him to play the matchups a little better. And you know, that might contribute a little bit to having. Um, you know, a better left-on-base percentage because he can have exactly the guy he wants and maybe even a guy who's a little bit more rested. Uh, it's a very hard thing to quantify. I can't really back that up to numbers, but, you know, if Dave is right that that's one of the reasons that the run scoring is lesser than you think it would be, um, that is certainly one of the things that we can identify that the Orioles do differently than everybody else. Uh, so it would, seem to, it would stand to reason that that's got some relation. Mike, I just heard you say you can't back it up with numbers and you're going to have to kind of rely on what we were seeing. So this is almost making it sound like Jake might be right that he's relying more on his gut. So we're going to have to turn this around now, okay? <laughs> Here, uh, I'm, I'm going to tee this one up. I need you to educate me as to why I'm dumb. Actually, it's a really great segue for what you just said because Scott and I argued um, last week on our show about Wei-Yin Chen. And my complaint with Wei-Yin Chen is that he doesn't go deep enough into ball games. Um, you know, he's consistently in that five, you know, point one zone where he really puts a, a, a weight on the bullpen to have to come in and bail him in. And even though he's got, you know, 10 wins or whatever it is at this point in the season, I'm not really sure that he's doing the rest of the team uh, that great a service in comparison to somebody that goes a little bit deeper. And Scott was quick to point out to me that the win probability of what he's providing is excellent because even though he's only getting through five or maybe 5.1 innings in a game, uh, you know, he's only giving up one or two runs. And so the probability of winning that game is much higher than if he had gone through the, you know, textbook quality start and given up three runs. And my point was kind of like, well, yeah, but at what cost is that single game's win going to get us? Is there anything to that, going back to what you're talking about with sequencing, even though the, the number of runs given up and, and number of runs prevented might be the same, you know, the, the team may not be set up to kind of eat those, those Pyrrhic victories, if you will. Well, I, I think it, you know, if we're talking about Chen, it's a little bit about accepting who he is, right? Like he's a, he's a good, solid pitcher, but I don't think, you know, you guys even certainly wouldn't argue that he's, you know, an ace, he's not a Kershaw, he's not a, a Udarvish, he's not anything like that. So if you're accepting what he is, then, you know, I would be happy if he's giving you, say, five good innings and then getting out as opposed to forcing him to stay in for that sixth inning and he gets lit up and then you lose the game. And I think that there's a point to be made that you know, that's not great for the bullpen, certainly. Uh, and I think if your entire rotation does that over the course of a long season, that's definitely a problem. But I think that kind of goes back to you know this thing that Duquette's been doing, that there's always fresh arms in the bullpen. And if you know Chen is getting you, say, three fewer outs than you'd like, Every fifth day, you know, that's maybe not the worst thing in the world if those three outs are getting taken by somebody who's actually going to, you know, be in a better position to get them than a, a tired Chen at the end of his day. Sure, he's just one of our stable of number five pitchers. Well, <laughs> actually, you know, if you look at Chen's numbers, he's in uh, right in that top 50 to top 50 to like 100. So again, if you classify that, he could be, you know, a three to a fourth pitcher in your rotation. But like we just talked about, he's not an ace, he's not number two. But I think if you say, go in there and saying, oh, he's a solid number four pitcher. I think that works perfectly well. It's just the problem is the Orioles have a lot of number four pitchers right now in this rotation. Yeah, I think, and that's exactly you're exactly right. And that's going to be it's fine maybe for the starting for the regular season, but I think you get into trouble there in the playoffs when you have to match up with a uh, you know a Max Scherzer or you know a Garrett Richards, other guys who are pitching like two races. And I think I think that's going to be an issue. All right, I want to go back to talking about the discrepancy with the Orioles between um, in their rotation in terms of FIP versus ERA. And the Orioles have shown this uh, proclivity now for the past three seasons to have a uh, a deviation. And one of the big things where that was, again, the balls in play, but also the left on base. And the Orioles have this major discretion. And I wanted to go through, and there was actually a post on a uh, Orioles forum. It's called Orioles Hangout. Um, but I was going through and taking a look at career individuals that have a major deviation in terms of ERA and FIP. And one of the names that popped right at the top of the list in terms of the career board was actually Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer had a 2.8 ERA, and his FIP was actually 3.5, so it had a negative 0.7. Interestingly enough, when we broke it out by wins, his BIP wins was actually top among all of Major League Baseball from 1960 to 2014, and his left on base was also top in Major League Baseball in terms of LOB wins. He was actually right in front of Tom Glavin, who we've had a discussion before when he was going into the Hall of Fame of, you know, his FIP numbers might not be a perfect representation of actually how good he was. So um, going through those numbers, again, there's a lot of Orioles in, um, you know, that discrepancy. Um, in the top 10, you had uh, Dave McNally. 
You had Milt Pappas. Um, you had a lot of individuals here that had a large discrepancy of ERA and FIP. And the one thing that was I was thinking about in the 60s was you had Brooks uh, Robinson and you had McNally out there um, on the left-hand side of the field. You know, I'm not saying that the Orioles have that kind of quality in defense, but, you know, having Manny Machado and J.J. Hardy on that left-hand side certainly can't hurt them. I know that we're trying to get away from defense, but it does raise the question of how important is defense in terms of looking at fielding dependent pitching for, you know, the uh, the BIP and the, also the left on base? Uh, yeah, I mean, if we want to talk about Jim Palmer, I was like, I don't know, two years old when he retired if we're not counting that comeback. So I, I, I'm not going to speak to him too specifically. But um, I, I do think that, yeah, obviously, defense is super important. I mean, you can't just look at a guy's ERA without saying, well, did he pitch in course field or did he pitch in Petco Park? Or is he, you know, does he have Manny Machado with third base and, and J.J. Hardy? Or does he have, you know, the league-worst Cleveland defense? You know, or, or just killing guys? Because it's not, you know, when you say that, people are like, oh, okay, but errors, so that means it doesn't get counted against the ERA. Right. Well, you know, first of all, errors aren't really aren't really a great tool because they're so inconsistently called, but it's not also not just about the actual error, it's now it's extra pitches. You know, and you should have been out of that inning and now you're facing, you know, let's say like uh, Jose Brady when you should have been out of the inning with, with nobody on base. So it just kinda adds up um, you know, over time and it really can hurt a pitcher throughout the course of a game. So, you know, does defense matter? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the hardest parts uh, to get people to understand is they, they try to compare two players and they look at excuse me, batting average and RBI but they don't look at the entire value unless it's, you know, an Andrelton Simmons or a shortstop or somebody who's really existing because of the defense. Yeah. So I think that's that's constantly one of the struggles in, uh, in advanced stats is put doing a better job of accounting for the defense and also getting people to remember that it matters. I mean, not to go the whole thing again, but one of the reasons that we were all Mike Trout against Miguel Cabrera is because Trout was phenomenal at defense and Cabrera is really not. And people, you know, kind of forget that in, in favor of the Triple Crown. Yeah, exactly. It's everyone loves the long ball, and you know defense is really overlooked a lot of times. But uh, I think Mike Trout's pretty much got it locked up right now, unless something strange happens. Jake, I believe yeah, you have I'm a question. Yeah, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> yeah, I think Jake has a question now. All right, because I, my eyes and probably the eyes of the listener were, was glazing over when Scott was talking. I'm going to ask a bunch of dumb questions here, and I just appreciate your con- <laughs> your uh, you know patience, and and you can feel free to patronize me. Um, the Orioles are 15 and 20 on uh, day games, and they are six and 10 on Sundays. Can any of your fancy pants numbers tell me why the Orioles are so terrible on the Sundays? Because uh, those are honestly completely cherry picked numbers, right? Like, <laughs> you know, are, are, I mean, it really is. You could say, are you know, are they better when they're wearing you know black jerseys as opposed to the yes. white jerseys yes, or, they or are. whatever they're called, orange jerseys or whatever? I mean, you could you could make up any kind of split and say, are they better when they got served pasta before the game or or chicken? That's or actually a great question. You know I mean, yeah, because again, it comes back to when you're looking at statistics too, you're having to look at a sample size too. And, you know, we really don't have a large enough sample size here to say, oh, the Orioles are really bad on Sundays. It's just, you know, you really haven't had that enough games. So when you're looking at, you know, statistics here, you really have to look at, it, you know, a player that we're going to come to next, which is Steve Pierce. And everyone's just like, oh, Steve Pierce is great. But again, he's only done it over a very small sample size. So, Jake, I know you wanted to ask about Steve Pierce. Go ahead. All right. So we're moving on to specific players. Again, I, I, I appreciate your indulgence. Look, we're, we're frankly getting too much out of Steve Pierce. And uh, I guess my question is, you know, is this a guy that is going to fall off the table or are we watching a just okay player finally get the opportunity to play at a regular basis and he's putting up a career year? What's the decent enough sample size to be able to tell something meaningful about who he is? I, I always like to go by the rule that unless we're talking about the Phillies, uh, front office is no more than we do. And <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but it's kind of true. But you know, you look at Steve Pierce, and I don't have this number exactly right, but in the space of what, like 36 months, he got cut loose by five teams, that, including the Orioles. That is correct. Twice. Yeah, that's exactly right. He got cut by five teams, so that's that's pretty good turnover rate. Yeah. So if he was really that good, then I think some of these teams would have found a spot for him. And if I remember, they weren't all great teams. It was the Pirates when they were crappy. I think the Astros were in there. More than those, the, the Orioles twice. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's hard to look at a guy like that, that nobody really cared that much about to even give a roster spot and think that now that he is, you know, 30 something years old, he suddenly found it. And, you know, I'm looking at his stats right now. Part of it's luck, uh, his, his batting average involves his play is 349, which is like wildly higher than it's ever been before. He's not walking more. He's not striking out less. Uh, it could be, and I don't, I don't watch the Orioles regularly enough to know this. I know he's always been a platoon bat. So if he's like, 
only hitting against the opposite hand pitcher and never hitting against righty batters, I think that could help um, if that's how he's being used. But I really think that the Orioles fans should be very thrilled that they've gotten absolutely anything out of him, especially, you know, with, with Chris struggling as he has been. And, uh, you know, don't hold out hopes for, for too much more and don't be disappointed if you don't get it. No, no, I think we're completely happy that we got some decent production while everybody else was absolutely horrible. So thank God for Nelson Cruz and Steve Pierce during the first half. But I don't think anyone in the world thinks that they're going to continue that trend in the second half. But coming back to that aspect of, you know, going through multiple systems, one individual that pops in my head always that went through multiple systems to start his career was um, Joey Bats. And Joey Bats went through the Pirates, the Orioles, the Royals, and the Devil Rays organization before finally settling in with the Blue Jays at age 27. And then all of a sudden starting to turn it on, um, you, know, you know, is there any thought about, you know, just, you know, someone just being a late bloomer, um, you know, what basically makes it so that person finally actually turns into something that is like a perennial all-star like Joey Bats has been? I think anytime you have a guy like that, who suddenly becomes good. Um, it always helps if there's some kind of, uh, you know, measurable thing you can point to, not just, oh, he's good now and I don't know why, yeah. which is kind of. Uh, maybe I'm cutting off a later question, but kind of how I feel about Nelson Cruz, because I have absolutely no idea why he's good now. Uh, but, you know, for Joey Betts, you can go back to, I, I think, you know, he had this big breakout in, I think, 2010, but he was actually very good for the last six weeks or so of 2009. Yes. And what happened was the, the Blue Jays hitting coach, Dwayne Murphy, um, you know, changed his, his, his mechanics a little bit. You know, he's hit, he was hitting physically a little differently than he was before. He'd always had power. He was never really able to make enough contact to use it. And so his change in mechanics really helped him become a different hitter. It's not something you can point to and say, okay, that's a real thing. It's like this pitcher has a new pitch, you know, or this guy got in better shape. If you can point to something that's not just, oh, it's, it's you know, it's good luck. I think that's a really great way to know if something is real or not. Yeah, it kind of gets into the break, breaking out of looking at like the pitch FX and the heat maps and just seeing how that individual has started to change. Something's got to change if you're basically the same hitter as you've always been, but all of a sudden your numbers start to explode. You've got to eventually expect that okay, this batter's not doing anything differently, those numbers are going to come back to the career regression that it normally is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes you can tell if the batting stance changes a new pitch. And unfortunately, some of the things, you know, we'll never be able to know because they're all field things, right? It could be, uh, you know, a guy's marriage is breaking up and that could affect it. We're, we're not really going to know about that. So it could be uh, he's traded and, you know, the, the new he's not happy with the new trainers and the new cooks. I mean, that's kind of stuff that makes it difficult because we'll never have the full inside information that teams have. But I think, you know, we can do the best of what we have and make pretty good assumptions. My buddy Scott over here does keep stats on marriage breaking up. It's it's kind of an awkward thing. I can basically uh, determine how many runs are lost or gained based on uh, your... Uh, sleeping on the couch. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm going to cover it with sleeping on the yeah. couch. All right. Um, you mentioned Chris Davis. So Suicide I, swing? You should just see it. Your numbers just skyrocket. <laughs> you mentioned Chris Davis, so I'm going to go there. He had a uh, you know a pretty decent uh, season in 2012 when he got some playing time. He had an amazing 2013 that nobody expected, including him. And uh, now that we have great expectations for him, he is he's letting us down. Uh, what are we seeing from Chris Davis? Are we seeing a, a marginal talent that had a huge year that is now being pitched more carefully and he's failed to make the adjustment, or or what's going on there? Well, he had, uh, he had some kind of injury, didn't he? It was in the out for a while. He did have an oblique injury, and and uh, he may still be feeling those effects. When you look at him with your eyes, which is something Scott makes fun of me for, he's just not in sync. Uh, the thing is, is that in in last year's season, he was so he's on the, the back straight. He was hitting the ball to all fields. He was seeing the ball really well, and even his outs, you know, he was hitting it hard to to left field. Uh, just not doing that this year. He's he's basically hitting directly into the shift. Yeah, there was actually a lot of talk about this on uh, Beyond the Box Score. And, uh, you know, if you looked at some of the, uh, you know, shifts that had been going on there, Chris Davis has basically been hitting directly into the shift, whereas his expected BABIP was supposed to be somewhere in the ballpark of like a 330 or a 340 in terms of his line drive percentage, but it's right around like a 250 or 260. So the question has been, is that going to really increase or is the shift really eliminating that BABIP? Uh, and are we going to see that? And, um, I haven't seen any numbers come out for the second half or just finalizing the first half, but that'll be an interesting scenario to see if uh, Chris Davis's Babbitt recovers or if he continues to pull the ball right into the shift. Yeah, I mean, he's always been a very streaky hitter. I mean, yeah. he, had, he had some moments in his early uh, part of his years with, with Texas, and he was just awful for a couple of years, and then obviously last year he hits out of his mind. So I don't think it was probably reasonable for us ever to expect a total repeat of last year, but I also didn't expect him to fall apart in the way he has uh, so far this year. I think part of it is you know, just looking at his numbers now. It's uh, on on 
balls in the zone, he's swinging and missing at those a lot more, uh, which is he's always had swing and miss kind of in his skill set. But if you figure he's he's missing the good pitches and the ones he's hitting are going into the shift, and then maybe you know the injury contributed to the ball not being hit quite as well. I, I think all of those things combined um, will definitely hurt him. But it, you know, even still, I'm surprised that he's been quite this bad yeah and again his fly ball distance has also been down extremely this season again coming back to the oblique industry and maybe not having the power that he had last year um, yeah and i think that makes sense because i mean that, that's his game isn't it it's like it's it's power or he's kind of useless that, that's kind of i totally agree with you i want to finalize this interview because again we're getting close to the trade deadline and everyone is always big about making the trade that's going to turn a team into a world series contender and you know, in reality, most moves that are made at the trade deadline have very little impact on a team's war. And I guess the question is, looking at where the Orioles right now are and looking who's out there, if you could make one move to change the Orioles and to get them into the playoffs or maybe even get them into the World Series, what would you do? And really, what's a really significant move that the Orioles could actually make? And how much of a difference would it really make? Would it make like two or three percentage points? Or, you know, how much of a difference can a trade really make? Well, I think the deal I'd like them to make. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you know David Price is not no, anyway. On the that's not that's here. not going to happen. <laughs> we, we, yeah, can no, trade, no, no. we can trade we can trade our trash for uh, David Price, right? That's how it works. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, the deal I think that would be best for them, and I don't I don't think this is realistic either. Mostly because I don't think the team is going to actually trade in. Is I think Chase Utley would be perfect because second base has been a big problem. Didn't we already cover Baltimore? the Phillies don't do things right? <laughs> What's that? Don't we already cover that the Phillies front office doesn't do things right? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. But this is also partly on Utley because he's got another trade clause yeah. and it doesn't sound like he really wants to go anywhere. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that that would be a big help. I think they need a, another starting pitcher, but the problem is with, with you know, Hamlet's margin off the table and, and you're not going to get price. Anyone you get is not going to be a huge upgrade. Like, I, I think Ian Kennedy could be a good fit. Mm-hmm. He's not an ace, but he might be the ace of your staff. That's correct. Which, you know, maybe it says a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, Dan Duquette's always done a good job. Maybe he's not really done the best at like the big ticket pickups, but these under the radar kind of things. And I think he'll find something, whether it's some kind of starting pitching upgrade or you know maybe a catcher if you don't want to go into the playoffs with Caleb Joseph. But there's not much there either. There's you know Kurt Suzuki who I think is pretty overrated, might still be better than than Joseph. But if you can even just fill one of these black holes in the lineup uh, or get a starting pitcher, I think they'll be at least in good shape to get to October. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, you look at the Phillies and they've got plenty of players that would be interesting. You know, you've got Lee and you got even Hamels and then Utley. There's plenty of people in the Phillies organization that would be of interest to the Orioles. And really, the Orioles could really give up a lot of their prospects. And I realize, you know, you've got names like Bundy, you've got Gossman, you've got Harvey that are all great possibilities. But the Orioles have had a propensity for the past 20 years of not being able to develop prospects. And again, there's been a move within, you know, when the Athletics made their trade as well for Smarger and Hamill of giving up high-end prospects. And it really is raising the question of whether prospects have been overvalued in the past and whether people are willing to just win now and give up the prospects. And it'd be interesting to see if the Orioles would make a move and trade two of their three top prospects in order to try to go get someone like uh, like a Cliff Lee or a uh, Cole Hamels. Yeah, you, you put all three of them out there. Maybe Tampa Bay will listen on Bryce. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if I, I don't know as an Oriole fan if I could handle them going down to Tampa Bay and then dominating us for the next ten years. Here's the yeah, thing. Well, you know, maybe Ben Zobris gets Boston too, and there's your second base one. Yeah. Right. Here's the thing. Andy McPhail was the master of of swinging the trade and fleecing the other team. Dan Duquette, on the other hand, is is great at finding the da- diamonds in the rough. If we could just combine those two guys, the Orioles would be unstoppable. Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know that McSell gets enough credit for you know getting this organization back in better shape in his time there. Sure, well, he certainly does around these parts. Um, <laughs> I, I just wanted to uh, to to kind of wrap up by saying, you know, Scott and I play up the fact that that he and I are, are so different in our our approaches, but um, you know, we we both really enjoyed what you had to say about um, the Orioles kind of winning despite what uh, what fan graphs might think of them. Um, you know, whether, I think your piece ended by basically saying whether or not we respect them, you know, maybe, maybe they'll keep winning. Um, so thanks for, for trying to come on and make some sense of this nonsense that we spew out every week. So for those that want to follow Mike some more, you should go follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello. And that's P E T R I E L L O. He also writes for Dodgers Digest and he also writes multiple times per week for Fangrass and ESPN. Mike, you've been an excellent resource. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about or promote? 
no, I think you've nailed all those things. And, uh, let me just say, as I'm hardly the first to say, I'm sure that uh, Camden Yards is one of the best parks in the majors, and I was there last summer, and I hope to get back again soon. We would love to have you here, and the first drink will be on us. Absolutely. Camden Yards being the most beautiful stadium in Major League Baseball, Scott, by the way, is something you see with your eyes. No, no stat for that. <laughs> really? You had to end it with that? Yeah. Okay. Thanks again, Mike. <laughs> All right. Take care. Hey, Scotty. Hey, Jake. What's up? I'm going to need you to lean into that mic and pat yourself on the back. Okay, one second. No, no. Lean, lean in. Lean in. Yeah, there you go. That's the good. That's the oh, good. Oh, yeah. That's yep. good stuff. Oh, right yeah. There. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, sorry. All right. We're going to pat ourselves on the back because we told you so. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to the I told you so route. Did you think this was going to be easy? This second half schedule did you think that the orioles were just gonna walk into the playoffs did you think that the best team in major league baseball was gonna lie down like a doormat for the baltimore orioles did you think for a second that the new york yankees and toronto blue jays were just gonna lie down dead so that we could ride through to the al east pennant no no sir i was kind of hoping they just you know not show up really after the second half be like yeah we're just gonna go on golf trips we we were kind of hoping but no scott and i told you hey the schedule in the second half is gonna be tough and lo and behold that's exactly what happened look the oakland series was rough and the orioles are gonna lose games between now and october frankly the orioles are gonna lose games on this road trip sometimes it's gonna look grim and those other ales teams will occasionally gain ground on us. Losing sucks. It sucks a lot to lose this series to the A's. But there's lots of baggage associated with this A's series. It's the long-awaited return of the Orioles baseball after a you know four-day break for the All-Star game. You've got the best team in Major League Baseball to whom you're comparing your hometown Orioles. You've got Manny Machado's opportunity to stick it to Oakland fans who have been prepared to boo him ever since the bat left his hands in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, not a whole lot went right. I thought it was actually a great series. Game one was an absolutely amazing game in terms of Chris Tillman pitching an absolutely great game, but also Manny Machado's clutch go-ahead home run as almost a take that Oakland fans. And, you know, even the aspect with Josh Donaldson coming back in that ninth inning and hitting the three-run home run to win the game, it's just classic baseball. Yeah, dude, if, if you're like a Cubs fan and totally unrelated to what's going yeah. on, that was a good game to no, watch. That was a great game to watch. I mean, that was a great baseball game to watch. Yes, it is heartache and misery for Orioles fans, but I think we need, what we need to take out of that is this is a momentary lapse for Zach Burton. Are you taking a moral victory here, sir? I am taking a moral victory here. Wow. This is, this is a rare moment. I'm just going to... I'm going to soak this in. I thought, you know, I thought Friday's game was a was an absolutely great game. You know, it's a shame that the Orioles didn't win that game. But again, we come back to the difference between this being a great series and this kind of, you know, bad taste in your mouth series is Friday's game. Three outs. It was three outs. And it was a situation of Zach Burton just wasn't on that night. And normally he is on most nights. And I'm not going to let it get too over my over the top and get too bitter over it. I'm just going to say... Shit happens. This is baseball. Let's move on. All right. So let let's look at game one real quick. And this is this is turn back the clock, Scott. Because uh, bird's eye view, we used to go game by game and recap what happened. We're just going to give you a small dose of that. It's here. 2012 all over, baby. Well, we also have only three games to work with this week. Okay, that's fair. All right. So in game one, let let's not lose the good. You mentioned it. Chris Tillman was solid. Two earned runs over six and two thirds innings. He was he was he was good. Uh, Manny Machado got six a, to one K to walk ratio too. Yeah, boom, awesome, oh, absolutely. Manny Machado got a clutch go ahead home run. He stuck it to the Oakland fans until it didn't matter. 
something that I think gets lost is Tommy Hunter. Tommy Hunter gave us 1.1, you know, four outs of good baseball. And, you know, we beat that horse to glue. But sure. We need this guy. Yeah. We need him to be good. 100% left on base. So nobody basically came in or came. It's like that. So that's a great, great job by Tommy Hunter. And your guy, yep. Jonathan Scope, gave us a home run. Yay. <laughs> Zach Britton, mortal after all. Um, let me ask you. Did the break, the, the all-star break, affect him? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. If When you're a sinker ball pitcher like that, you, he definitely lost some command there. I mean, that pitch that he threw to Donaldson just stood, stayed up in the zone. I think this is a situation where Zach Burton is going to get back into his normal situation. Um, I have no question in my mind that Zach Burton will be perfectly fine um, for the rest of the second half. All right, fine. Good, good enough. You know, he failed to record an out uh, in the ninth Swinging inning. bunt, blue pit, three-run homer. Yeah. If that game would have been the situation of you have the swinging bunt, um, the blue pit, and then Donaldson comes up and it's into a double play, totally different, different game. game. Yeah. Totally different game. And, and you know what? He gave up a three-run home run in New York. He gave up a three-run home run here in Oakland. But the, the time and the good outings that went between them, you know, sometimes you just get the bull. Well, you're, again, you're not going to give up zero runs all or the time. Sometimes even, you just get the horns. Yeah, sometimes. even Mariano Rivera had blown saves. Absolutely. Simple as that. Take Adam Jones hitting a home run in the ninth. Correct. Oh. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing, Scott. You're a young buck, still in your twenties. I'm an old for man. for a few more months. I'm an old man. I was always giving you the credit. Yeah, Come on, know. man. Take take the compliments when you can get them, while you still can. Thank you, old man, for that advice. <sighs> I was an old man. I fell asleep in the in the Friday night game. I did not realize. Until I believe that's because I, I got you drunk. That is very possible. Yeah. <sighs> Friday, quite a day. Yes. Um. <laughs> The different podcast. Um, but I didn't realize until I woke up the next morning and read about it, three hit-by-pitch for the Orioles. Samarja hit two, and uh, and whatever reliever hit one. Let me ask you, Scott, is that any retaliation going on for the series in Baltimore? I certainly hope not. It's I, I don't think that's the case, but I certainly hope that's not the case. I hope not. Samarja, I don't think, was even on the team when that happened, was he? He wasn't. And uh, But the thing that looks ugly about it is that J.J. Hardy took one in the back of the helmet. Adam Jones took one in the shoulder. Was there even a warning issued during this game? I don't believe so. Wow. I, I'm glad that it did not continue on through the rest of the series, but that does surprise me. Um, yeah, okay. It's, it's one game. Let's move on past it. Game two. The Orioles came out, and they absolutely unloaded on Jason Hamill. Um, the top six in the order are absolutely on fire. Chris Davis had a double, a home run, two RBIs. Jones had five RBIs and two stolen bases. And Chen went the uh, typical five innings pitch <laughs> with three earned runs. And oh, away oh, in Chen went five, uh, five plus, huh? Yeah. But actually, it was an interesting game because the Athletics kept the game constantly close. It always seemed like the Orioles were about to blow it apart, and then all of a sudden it was, oh, the A's are still there. The A's are still there. So it was still a really good game for both teams. And that's why I really think that game one and game two were really a, a demonstration of a really good series. And then day three came. Yeah. Let me just set up day three. Can okay. I do this? Yes, go ahead. All right. Day three was on Sunday. Bum, bum, bum. It was during the day. Bum, which, bum, bum. Which clearly means it's turned back the clock to 2010 time. Yeah. The Orioles are 15 and 20 in day games and 6 and 10 on Sundays, and they did not fail to disappoint us on Sunday. That game was awful. Well, yeah, I mean, Sunday Gray was pitching absolutely amazing, though. Um, there was tons of issues in that game with the Orioles not, you know, getting any hits, not taking any walks. There was an expanded strike zone from the home plate umpire. Kevin Gossman couldn't get any first pitch strikes. He was squeezed, even though Sunday Gray's strike zone looked like it was absolutely huge. It was just a no good, absolutely horrible, not very good, very bad day. I, I don't want that to sound—I'm going to come to your defense here, Scott Magnus. Take take note of this. I don't want that to sound like sour grapes. What you just said about the strike zone was absolutely right. But I think the difference is the home plate umpire had a terrible strike zone, an inconsistent strike zone. And I think Sonny Gray had a better— uh, a better it did a better job of adjusting adapting to, to the situation no, than totally did Kevin Gregg who who was Kevin Gregg yeah wow wow 
Wow. That, oh. That is wow. That is Freudian to like a level I can't even go. Kevin Gosman in his infinite experience at the major league level, could not adjust to that different strike zone, that inconsistent strike zone. And he just he just didn't have it. No, that, that's as simple as that. He just didn't have it. Um, I come back to the situation of it's one game, he didn't have it. Let's move on. No, I'm not worried about it. But I will say that he did have all that valuable AAA experience to draw on that the Orioles have provided him in this season. Um, Okay. Have I, have, har, I beat, har, har. have I beat that drum you hard beat, enough? You beat that drum hard enough. Um, the series sucked, Jake, in all, because, again, it was a situation of you could have taken two out of three and had a really positive result, but you came out with uh, two out of three losses. So, Well, it really put that Friday game into perspective even more. I mean, it made it hurt that much more that we we snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory on Friday because we played like it was Sunday later that weekend yeah i guess my thought process is i'd rather have zach burton blowing a game in july against the athletics than an alcs game number one all right i i will take that totally look you know i I said it before sometimes you get the bull and sometimes you get the horn that's just what happened with this a's series and and i don't want people to freak out too much you said it on twitter you started seeing some of the Ravens training camp tweets come out from Orioles. Ravens training camp tweets, but I also have people that work up to me and say, well, at least Ravens training camp starts this week. Are you kidding me? Look, it's one bad series. And frankly, this road trip and the homestand that follows is just ugly. Yeah. It's a tough stretch of games. And if the Orioles come out of this road trip a game or even two games under 500, it's not panic button no, situation. It's not the end of the road. Absolutely not. It's, even even if you, you come out of this road trip and you're tied for first place or if you're a half game behind in first place, the Orioles are still in the driver's seat when it comes to the AL East because we're done with the A's. Sure. We're done with the A's. We have to play what? Toronto or we have to play Detroit one more time, is that right? No, Detroit's done. All right, we're done with Detroit. Yeah. We're getting to the point where we're running out of the rough series. Yeah. And we're gonna be able to finish the, the season with the AL East, which is down. So I really want everybody to just hold on to to grin and bear it through the rough series and realize that even though it might not be pretty, this second half really sets up for us well. Absolutely. And I'm going to come back to 2012. I want you to remember coming out of the All-Star break with uh, Nick Markakis being injured and having Chris Davis play in right field. This is a situation where there is a lot of season left. If the Orioles get into August and go into September strong, there's no question in my mind the Orioles are in great shape. Try to play 500 baseball right now on the road. We're going to be in great shape going coming home. How far has this podcast come, by the way? 2012, we spent the entire season waiting for the other foot to drop. Scott Magnus, you sound like Jim Hunter right now. What can I say? I've got the little penis mic right in front of my face. <laughs> well, I think there is no better place to go from here than to, uh, to, to ask which one of us is going to be satisfied in the next segment. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby, you sure do sway. When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting on daddy, hey, you are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out. All right, Jake, so we took off last week, and um, we're back from the All-Star break. I think that's just the breather I needed to come back and storm back into this game, Scott. That's what Tampa Bay Rays keep telling himself as well. <sighs> it's true. So, Jake, uh, going through the stats so far for the year, I am up by a pretty hefty sum. I'm up 9-4-2. to four to two. So, um, five-game lead over you. So, um, just like the Orioles, you know, sizable lead. You know, it's not going to be possible for you to come back. Sure. Right? Sure. Right? I seem to recall last week that I just squeaked out, or last year, I just squeaked out a win because somebody was buried at midseason and then clawed his way back into contention. Does that sound like anyone you know, Scott Magnus? No, not really. No, no. So, all right. We are here in the second half. Fantasy Boss is upon us. I've got a lot of work to do. 
So lay it on lay it on me, Scott. Throw down the gauntlet. What is our category this week? All right, Jake. I am going to go with a very simplistic stat. I like it already. Okay. We're going to pick a starter. And we're going to pick a starter in terms of runs allowed per nine innings. Okay. So that would include even if a run were to score on an error. Right. This is, this is unearned runs, everything, runs, everything. Run runs allowed per nine innings. All right. Can, can you let me work this out in my head a little bit? Sure. I feel like in a normal defense, forget the Orioles, mm-hmm. in a normal defense, um, balls in play are going to hurt them because the chance for an error exists. I would agree with that. So so pitchers that uh, have stellar XFIP, or, or I'm sorry, players that have, or pitchers that have uh, good fielding independent pitching might not be the, the people you want to go. You want to get people that induce ground balls. Is that what we're saying? Because the Orioles defense is so stellar? You're just looking for someone that gives the, up the fewest runs. It's as simple as that. No, it's not as simple as that with the Orioles starters. Everyone gives up runs. You just need to figure out which Orioles starters can give up the fewest runs per nine innings. Per nine. All right. I'm going to go with Wei-Yin Chen. Even though he doesn't go past the sixth inning. Yes. And I'm doing it because I figure you're picking this category just to make me feel bad. Yes, I'm going to go with Wei-Yin Chen. Okay. I'm actually going to go with Chris Tillman. All right. That's a good pick. Yeah. I think Chris Tillman is going to get deeper into the game. And actually, if you look at the runs allowed per nine innings, yes, Wei-Yin Chen actually does much better in terms of FIP and XFIP. But Chris Tillman actually has had a better runs allowed per nine, and in essence, also has better had a better runs allowed uh, war in essence as well. So I'm going to go with Chris Tillman. I think that just shows how well Chris Tillman has done as as of late, and how much he's pulled himself out of that awful stretch. Because you know he he had a really rough go of it there for a little while, where it's kind of hard to believe that he had a, had a better. Uh, runs per nine than a guy like Chen, who's been fairly consistent. So uh, g- good for Tillman. Yeah, Chris Tillman has been pitching uh, very good lately, and I think that's the perfect segue for us to go into the the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, we have a little bit of a small sample size to go from here because there were only three games played this week. The All-Star break took up much of the week. But, Scott, we can be as judgmental as we want. So good, bad, and the ugly, we will. And I'm going to start with someone we've mentioned before, and that is Chris Tillman. Yeah, Chris Tillman. We've talked about him. He's having a much better time of late than he has before. And, and frankly, his last start was one of those great things that he's done with himself as of late. In six and two-thirds innings, he gave up four hits, two earned runs. He did give up that home run, but he struck out six, and he walked only one guy. And that's, I think, the real important thing, is to see Tillman consistently in the zone and and in control. You know right away these days if you're going to get good Tillman or bad Tillman, and he really seems to be locking himself in. And uh, that's what we're going to need if the Orioles are going to make themselves into a playoff team. Jake, I totally agree with you. It was a very small sample size. And it was very difficult to pick someone out from the Orioles that performed uh, marvelously during this past weekend. So I'm going to avoid the Orioles completely for my good. And I really think my good comes from an individual, well, from a group that we rarely give credit to. And that's the four-letter network. And Stuart Scott's speech at the ESPYs is an absolutely good moment. If anybody hasn't seen it, you should go. You might have to look at the four-letter network, but you should go and watch Stuart Scott's speech. It lasts only about seven minutes, but it's just a riveting and just great emotional speech from you know a cultural icon, but also just a situation for a, just a father going through a very tough situation. So uh, my good for the week goes to Stuart Scott's speech at the ESPYs. You are so right. You are so right. And anybody with kids, if you watch this thing, you just need to be prepared to uh, to be alone Get a little dusty. for a little while because yeah. uh, you don't want to do that at work and then need to excuse yourself to uh, to go clean up your face. Yeah. Uh, great, great pick, Scott. I, I wholeheartedly agree. All right, my bad for this week. Well, my bad is going to be for the Orioles' all-star representatives. Ugh. They did nothing. Yeah. 
Both of our guys were 0-2. There was nothing really defensively marvelous about either of them. I, in fact, I think the best of the lot may have been the high fives that Matt Wieters gave in the dugout because he ended up not being injured from those high fives. And I think it may have been the uh, the, the RoboCop arm thing he had going on. But, uh, yeah, not really impressed. Now, Adam Jones did get a couple of home runs in the home run derby, and he advanced to the second round. He whoop de doo But the Orioles All-Stars... You didn't show me anything. Yeah. Look, you know, I, I know that there are 34 players on each side, and, you know, we can't be the heroes of every all-star game, but, meh. It was the Jeet show. It was the Jeet. Fruit baskets for Fruit everyone. Fruit baskets for everybody. So my bad for the week is going to go to one of our all-star representatives for this past series, and that's Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz only had one hit in the Oakland series. Hmm. Hmm. That does sound less than good. Less than good. Not ugly because it's only three games. But Nelson Cruz, clean your ish up. All right. I'm going to go into my ugly. And for my ugly, I'm going to beat somebody up that I've been I've been lifting up over the last couple of weeks. And my ugly this week is Kevin Gosman. I, I just want to point out that Kevin Gosman was your bad the previous time we did this. Well, no, no. The Orioles handling oh, of Kevin Gosman. Okay, okay. But Kevin Gosman is my ugly this week, specifically for Sunday. He let the game get away before it had even started. And sure, lots of terrible things followed. But he allowed two runs before recording an out, and he put the team behind the eight ball. They were facing Sonny Gray. It was daylight on a Sunday, and the Orioles couldn't afford to lose, and he blew it. And uh, something that I thought was interesting is that it really looked like he was getting squeezed hard in that first inning, and it seemed to unravel him. It really did, because he wasn't missing by much, but he was missing, and he just came apart. And um, it, it's not good because I want the Orioles to make room for him on the Major League roster, and a, a performance like this is not going to show the team that he's ready. I uh, I joked on Twitter that they were going to try to find a way to option him in the middle of the game, but again, you know he he only has his AAA experience to go uh, go back to if they keep sending him back to Norfolk. So at some point they're they're either going to have to you know piss or get off the pot with Kevin Gosman, but he is certainly not helping his cause with what he did on Sunday. It's one game. I know. All we have is three games, dude. Give me yeah, a break. No. I, can only, I can only get so excited for so many things. Okay. Come on. Jake, there's an obvious ugly for this week. Yeah, I'm looking right at it. Go ahead. And it comes back to the All-Star game. There's an obvious ugly from the All-Star game. And that's Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball's non-inclusion of Tony Gwynn during the All-Star game is a major, major issue that I have. Damn, you're good at this this week. Come MLB on. and Fox released a joint statement. Anytime you release a joint statement with, with the Fox network, bad move. Here's the statement. We are deeply saddened by the loss of the Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn, an extraordinary individual whose memory we have honored in numerous ways in recent weeks. The baseball family has sadly lost a number of people this year, including Hall of Famer Ralph Kiner, Frank Kashner, and former All-Stars Jerry Coleman, Jim Ferrosi, and Don Zimmer, and did not want to slight anyone by singling out one individual. That is absolute crap. That's a crap show that right is there. an absolute crap show. You're telling me that you don't want to honor Tony Gwynn? That's fine. If you don't want to honor Tony Gwynn, but the situation is you should be honoring all these individuals. There is plenty of time in the All-Star game with all the crap that is going on. No, no, no. They've got to sell beer, Scott. That's fine. You can put these guys' pictures up over a Bud Light logo. I don't care. This is absolutely atrocious Major League Baseball. And this is the kind of stuff that needs to stop. This is the kind of stuff that Bud Selig, is why he's one of the worst commissioners in all of sports. Major League Baseball, you look absolutely horrible. And I hope that you know fans don't let Major League Baseball have a pass over this. If I was a San Diego Padres fan, I would be absolutely livid. And as a baseball fan, I am absolutely livid. So Major League Baseball, you are ugly. Scott, that's a great ugly. And this, again, is why you go last. That was actually probably one of my better ones to um, to uh, end up uh, over the past few weeks. Next week, when you prep for the good, the bad, the ugly, I just want you to listen to that on loop, okay? And just like get into the zone before you That's pick. Fine. I'll, I'll take my shirt off and just listen to it as I slowly. Whoa, whoa! I said get into the zone. That is not what I meant. Oh, okay, Jake. Uh, with that, I think it's time to blow the save. Oh, that is one of the worst segues I've ever heard. But please play the music. All right, I'm going to start talking so that you won't. And, um, you know, something came up today where, uh, you know, you made fun of me. I tweeted out something absurd where I said that the Orioles play so poorly during the day because they are actually werewolves. And yes, I misspelled werewolves. Yes. 
They're from the warehouse district, apparently. Well, they're from the Orioles warehouse. Okay. All right, but I, so that was my theory, all right? I, I tweeted out, there has to be a better answer out there. So what I'm saying is, tweet us your suggestions with the hashtag, hashtag baseless opinion. Now, Cousin Sal over there at the OBP podcast, who we absolutely recommend you go over there and listen to weekly at obpapparel.com. Uh, They've got a section there for the podcast. He suggested mandatory Saturday night Coke benders. Now, Scott, I don't know about you. I'm sure he's referring to Coca-Cola, possibly throwing some pop rocks in there. But uh, we want to hear from Bird's Eye View listeners. Tweet at us and let us know. The truth is out there, but we'll settle for bullshit. And Jake, to finalize the show, August 2nd, Birdland Bash. We need everyone to come out. We're going to have a great softball event where you can absolutely destroy me and Jake in softball because we have absolutely no athletic skill whatsoever. And then afterwards, we're going to go to an Orioles baseball game, and we're all going to have beer, and we're going to have a great time heckling Mariners fans. I love it. The Birdland Bash is August 2nd. Is that correct? August 2nd, 1 to 4. You can register at our site. Just click the little menu item at the top that says Birdland Bash. Well, that sounds so great, Scott, that I'm actually going to rush to my computer, and I'm going to do that. So you should do that because it's only $20, and you get a cool shirt out of it, too. In that case... I'm going to rush to my computer, and I'm going to take this opportunity to bid Baltimore and beyond a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.